0: So uh, so we just read 1 Corinthians 15 where Paul says that if the resurrection isn't true, Christianity is a fraud. Right? Everything rests on the resurrection. Uh, let's read 1 Peter 3. Uh, Tommy, can you read that? Blessed
1: uh, be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has called us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead.
0: Yeah, notice the language that Peter uses, right? He says, through the resurrection, we are born again to a living hope. The living hope <coughs> that we have rests on the resurrection without the resurrection there is no living hope we are still in our sins our faith is futile christianity is a fraud everything rests on the resurrection all right so the argument that i'm going to make and um uh i wanted to sort of cite the source uh about like i don't know four years ago i read this book maybe the single best book on the resurrection there is i it was so good i read it twice Um, It's called The Resurrection of the Son of God by N.T. Wright. It's like a huge month. It's a thousand pages. It also doubles as a dumbbell if you want to work out with it afterwards. And um, it is so good. And it is considered the definitive work on the resurrection. I mean, nothing compares. And so this is the argument N.T. Wright makes. I think it is really strong. Uh, I put it there in box. Uh, shaded okay because i want you guys to know this is the argument the key to understand the key to understand okay i wrote grammatically incorrect but the key to understanding everything is that the, the crucifixion is a verdict okay and the resurrection is a reversal of that verdict so that without the resurrection the verdict of the cross stands does that make sense when I was a kid, I thought, well, why does Jesus need to rise again? The, the reason he needs to rise again is because the cross says something about Jesus. And if he didn't rise from the dead, then all those, then that means he's a fraud. That means, and I, and I will go through all of this, that means he's not true. That means he isn't who he says he is. The resurrection proves that everything he said is true, and it reverses the verdict of the cross, all right? So I sort of drew a graph here, and we're going to go through it. Hopefully, uh, it'll be understandable. All right. So first perspective. So, I've listed three perspectives, right? There's the Roman perspective of what the cross meant and what, what the resurrection meant. The Jewish perspective, and then the salvation perspective. And all of them are kind of intertwined. All of them go together. They all dovetail together. So, let's start with the Roman perspective, okay? The Roman perspective is that the cross is a political verdict. Okay? And uh, let me read to you the, um, the italics. If Jesus is killed on a Roman cross... That means, okay, this is the verdict. That means he is not the Messiah. He's not the king. He's not who he says he is. Crucifixion is the last thing possible that would happen to a mighty conquering king. Jesus said, I'm the Messiah. And the Romans said, Oh, yeah, you're crucified. And the Romans are like, That proves you're not the Messiah. Okay? And so let's read these texts, okay? Because this, this is dynamite stuff. Okay, Luke 23. Harry, can you read that for us? This is, uh, by the way, the Sanhedrin brings Jesus. Remember, after they try him, they bring Jesus to Pilate. And this is what they say. Go ahead. Then the company of them arose and brought Jesus before Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar, and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And Pilate asked him, Are you king of the Jews? All right. What is the accusation that the religious leaders bring to Pilate, right? Because they want Pilate to kill Jesus. What do they say? They say this man is saying we're not supposed to give tribute to Caesar, and saying that he himself is Christ, the King. Um, a quick, um, quick vocabulary lesson: mm-hmm. Christ. Okay, we tend to think of Christ as uh, sort of Jesus's last name. Uh, of course, it is not. What does Christ mean? In in uh, in Greek, is Christos. What does it uh, literally mean? What is it? What's the actual definition? Anointed one. Exactly. It means the anointed one. And what does anointed one mean? Like why? 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 Anoint basically means you put oil on their head, right? And so, why, why is it significant that he is quote unquote the anointed one? There's like twenty five copies of the lesson.
1: anoint kings,
0: right? Right. You anoint kings. If you guys remember, Samuel finds Saul. And what does he do? He brings out his flask of oil and he anoints Saul. When Samuel (laughs) anoints King David as king, he anoints him, right? So the anointed one means king. Okay? And this isn't just any normal king. This is a promised king, the long-awaited king, which is the Messiah. The Messiah, by the way, is just the Hebrew word for Christ. Right? It's the exact same word. Christ in Greek is Christos. Messiah in Hebrew is Mishayach. Means basically the same thing, the anointed one, right? So the the Sanhedrin comes to Pilate and they say, This guy, Jesus, says he's the Mishayach. He's the anointed king. Why does Pilate say he's the Mishayach to the cross? Why? Can anyone answer? Why? Why does their accusation that Jesus is the king warrant crucifixion? Anyone? It's a bit of logic. It's easy though, and I, I, I trust you guys can do it. Why? Pilate, remember, is a representative of Caesar. He's a lieutenant. He's a governor under Caesar. Why? Does the accusation that Jesus is the king warrant killing him? Okay, let me, let me give you a bit of geography lesson, all right? Here's the Mediterranean. Here's the Mediterranean, right? Here's, here's what? Israel, right? And this is Italy, Rome, okay? The Roman Empire includes Israel, okay? <laughs> Does that kind of jog your the logic? That was a trick question. <laughs> yes. not so, uh, Pilate respond uh, Jesus because he's a king, because they're afraid that Israel might just hurt against wolf. That is correct. Think about this. Can there be two kings in the land? You know, here's Caesar. He says, I'm the king of the Mediterranean world. You know, he's standing on the Titanic, right? I'm the <laughs> king. And then Jesus says... No, I'm the king. What do you do when there are two people who say they're kings? You have to fight, right? You have to do, you have to get in the octagon and just duke it out. And whoever loses is not the king. And whoever wins is the real king, right? And so what the Sanhedrin were saying is Jesus claims he's the king. He's going to throw off Roman rule and he's going to reestablish the kingdom of Israel and then Caesar, and Pilate, as Caesar's representative, says, "Oh, really? Then I must kill you, right? Because you kill, you specifically crucify political insurrectionists. That was actually uh, what the resurrection and what the crucifixion was for. We tend, to, we tend to think that the crucifixion was for killing petty thieves and criminals. Uh, it was not. You killed political <coughs> revolutionaries, and you did it in a very public way. Do you know why? Like, why not just like." A, why not just kill them in, in the dungeon? You throw them up on a stick and then you kill them for everyone to see. Why? Because you're basically telling everyone they lost. I defeated this person. And let everyone know I'm, I'm the real king, right? And so, um, and so the Roman verdict of the cross is that Jesus is a failed Messiah. Okay? He's a false king. The cross proves that Jesus is not who he says he is. Okay, let's look at Matthew 27. Uh, this is so rich. This is amazing. Um, can I have Cub read Matthew 27? Yeah. Uh, uh, this is, by the way, um, so Pilate is dr- uh, Jesus is dragged before Pilate. Pilate sentences him to death, and then they take him down, and they're going to rough him up before they crucify him. So go ahead.
1: And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and twisting together a crown of thorns they put it on his head and put a bead in his right hand and kneeling before him they mocked him saying Hail King of the Jews and over his head they put the the charge against him which read This is Jesus the King of the
0: Jews Okay, the key to understanding this is that the soldiers are mocking Jesus. How do they mock him? How do they mock him? They put a scarlet robe on him They put a crown of thorns and then they kneel before him and they say, Hail, King. Okay? Why did they put a scarlet robe? Does anyone know what scarlet, why that's significant? Yes. You know, colors were extremely difficult to achieve in the ancient world because it was natural dyes. There was no industrial dyes. Scarlet was a very difficult color to achieve and so it was reserved for royalty. So they basically put a royal robe around Jesus. Do you understand? They put a royal robe and then what do they do? They put a crown on him. But this is an ironic crown. This is a crown of thorns. And then they kneel before him and they say, Jesus, you're the king. And they're mocking him. Because obviously, he's not the king. No king would be arrested, beaten up, and then crucified by his enemies. The only king, only a conquering king, only a king on a war horse. You know, like Aragon, right? In the Lord of the Rings, fighting, killing the enemies. That's the king. And they're saying, Jesus, you're like the opposite, right? And then they put a sign over the cross. Okay, this is very important. Over the cross, they put a sign. And on the sign, they put king. Right? What are they doing? They're mocking Jesus. Does that make sense? They're saying the verdict of the cross was he's not the king. He's a failed messiah. Is there any questions here? This is very, very important for you to understand. So the thesis, the argument that I'm making is that the cross is a verdict. The resurrection is a reversal of that verdict. Any questions comments? (laughs) All right, let's move on. Um, The case of Simon Bar Kokhba. Has anyone heard of this character? This is a a famous historical figure. Obviously, he's not that famous, but uh, Simon Bar Kokhba, anybody? Well, uh, Jesus was not the only one who claimed to be the messiah. In fact, we know from historical records, there were dozens of people who claimed to be the Messiah. Because again, remember, the Messiah was something that the people were waiting for. They were longing for a king. They were longing for someone to rescue them from the oppressive rule of the Romans. And Simon Bar Kokhba is maybe, I think, the most significant claimant to the title of king. In fact, uh, well, let me just read it for you, okay? Um, you can read about this in, in the Wikipedia, by the way, and it's a really interesting entry. Uh, during the Second Jewish Revolt, so um, uh, there were two separate times when the Jewish people actually rose up and fought the Romans, and they were successful actually for like two to three, four years. They were actually an independent kingdom, and each time they rose up in revolt, it was under a Messiah, Okay. And this is why, remember when Jesus says, I'm the king, and, they, and when Jesus says, I'm the Messiah, they wanted to make him king, and they wanted to bring, that's why Peter was carrying a sword, because it's like, we're ready to fight, right? Jesus is like, no, no, you, haven't, you, you totally misunderstand. But... But that was the expectation. So let me read you the the paragraph. During the second Jewish revolt against Roman rule, Simon Bar Kokhba was declared the Messiah by the Sanhedrin. I think that's really amazing. Because remember, with Jesus, the Sanhedrin said, Jesus is not the Messiah. They evaluated him. Of course, they looked and he said, you don't carry any swords. You don't have any military prowess. Where's your troops? You're not the Messiah, obviously. But with Simon Bar Kokhba, they said, you are the Messiah. That's amazing, okay? They said he's the Messiah. And we have coinage from that period, minted by Simon Bar Kokhba, declaring the redemption of Israel and the establishment of God's kingdom. By the way, you can see this on the website. We actually have coins from that period, minted by Simon Bar Kokhba, declaring that he's the king, okay? And he was actually defeated by the emperor Hadrian and killed. And this is the important point. After he was killed, did anyone continue to say that he is the Messiah? No. No one said he was the Messiah anymore. Do you know why? Because the Messiah cannot be killed. The Messiah cannot be defeated. The Messiah is the son of David. He's, going to be, he's a greater David. How can he be defeated? How can he be crucified? It is impossible. The verdict of the cross is that you are not the Messiah. Does that make sense? I feel like I'm repeating myself, but, anyways, another piece of evidence. Um, we actually have ancient graffiti. I love this. Found in Rome near the Palatine Hill. And this is called the Alexamenos graffiti. Actually, in Italian, it's called Graffitio Blasfemo, right? It's the bla- blasphemous graffiti. Um, and it's a really interesting graffiti. I actually have printed there for you the tracing of the graffiti, but you can actually see the photo. It was too faint for me to print it, but um, let me just read you the description. Okay, uh, this was graffiti, anti-Christian graffiti. Okay, it shows a man with the head of a donkey being crucified, and the inscription reads, "Alexamenos worships his god." So Alexamenos obviously was a Christian, and they were mocking him, right? This was a common anti-Christian argument. That Christians followed a man who had been crucified. The most shameful thing possible in the ancient world. The very fact that Jesus was crucified disqualified him as a failure. Right? So this is the this is this is this is the propaganda. This is the argument. They show uh, this man with the head of a donkey. Oh, this is the most worst donkey head ever. But, right? And, you know, what's so great about images is you don't even have to say anything. The image says it all. They said, this is their Christ. He's crucified. Obviously, the Christians are retarded. Obviously, the Christians are, are completely wrong because there's no way the Messiah, the king, could be crucified. All right? And by the way, um, we know from Acts that the very first time uh, Christians actually weren't called Christians... Until um, at Antioch and the word Christian means follower of Christ (laughs) okay and this was a a label meant to mock the Christians does that make sense it was you know we tend to think Christians oh that's a correct description but it was actually a mocking term because they're basically saying oh you follow that guy who's crucified and you call him Christ and so it was a mocking term. Does that make sense? Just like they were mocking Jesus by putting a scarlet robe, by putting the label king, it, it's, it's a verdict, okay? Any quick questions here before we move on? Um, maybe you can answer this later on, but like, the question of
1: like, Jesus back then was seen as very, like, donkey and he was, like very unpopular and so Christians were it. Yes. But I think it's, it By virtue
0: of the fact that he was crucified. Right.
1: It seems like today Jesus is like very popular and his followers are the ones that are unpopular. So are you going to gonna touch on that. Like
0: why? So <laughs> well, how it's switched in modern perception? No, I'm not going to talk about that. <laughs> I'm going to about the resurrection. <laughs> That is a good question. Don't let me uh, dismiss the question, um, but it's just beyond the scope of this class. Um, so the v- resurrection. How, what does the resurrection do? Okay, uh, the resurrection vindicated Jesus as the true King of Israel and the long-awaited Messiah. Okay, so the resurrection means that Jesus is the true Messiah. He's the true King. Okay, because the resurrection reverses the verdict of the cross. Does that make sense? The cross is you're dead, and Jesus is alive. So it's a reversal. Okay. Let me let's let's read the passage. Acts chapter two. This is Peter's speech. Um, it's a sermon at Pentecost. And uh, Melissa, can you read that for us? Uh, Peter, so this is what Peter's saying to the crowd. Remember, this is just a mere forty days after Jesus has been crucified.
1: All our witnesses. Bring therefore exalted all the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right, sit at my right hand, until I make your enemies your footsteps. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus and Jesus
0: Are you guys following the argument that Peter's making? This arg what Peter says doesn't make any sense unless you understand the original ancient context. Right? He says Jesus was crucified, but God raised him up, and then it says in verse 36, God has made him Lord and Christ. Does that do do you guys see the argument there? Jesus is the King. Jesus is the Lord because he was raised from the dead. He was crucified, but because he's raised, we know he is the Messiah. Does that make sense? Let's read 2 Timothy 2.8. Eric, can you read that? Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. It's very interesting the logic he makes, right? He says, how do we know that Jesus is the Christ? How do we know that he is the offspring of David? Offspring of David is another way to say Messiah, right? Because he was risen from the dead, <coughs> right? That's the argument. Any questions here? The first, Roman perspective, the first perspective is a Roman perspective, which is a, that it's, it's a political verdict. Um, any quick questions or comments? I
1: have a question. Are, are there any like non-Christian like evidence to Christ's resurrection?
0: Um, we will get to that at the very end. Um, there are several ways to um, approach the subject of the resurrection. One of the ways is to look at the evidences for the resurrection. And uh, so I, was, I, I, I mentioned this book at the very beginning. Uh, N.T. Wright spends a great deal of time talking about evidence, evidences for the resurrection. I remember as I was reading it, it was just such a worshipful experience for me because like, the arguments are just overwhelming, um, the historical arguments. You have to remember that they were not saying Jesus rose as a, as a private, um, secret miracle. It was a very public miracle. Everyone was saying, there's an empty tomb, <laughs> Right? There were 500 witnesses at one time, Paul says. And so um, there are evidences. Uh, you can, if this book is too intimidating. Um, uh, I actually, no, I did not preach on it. Um, but one of these days I'll, I'll, I'll cover all the evidences because it's, it's amazing. But right now I'm just focusing on this idea of verdict reversal. Good question, any other comments or questions? All right, so let's move on. Number two, or number three, but number two here. uh, The Jewish perspective is a theological verdict. So let me read the italics, okay? The penalty for blasphemy, which is falsely claiming that you are God, is death. Jesus was killed on the cross because he falsely claimed to be God's one true son. And the fact that Jesus was crucified proves that he was not who he claimed he was because God would not allow his son to be killed by pagans, okay? And so the verdict of the cross from the Jewish perspective is that Jesus is a blasphemer. Does that make sense? Uh, Let's read John 8. Uh, Aikman. Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am, (laughs) which is unmistakably a a claim to divinity. That he was pre-existent before Abraham. And being good Jews, what did the the Pharisees do? They picked up stones, and they were going to kill him. Because they were going to execute someone who blasphemes, someone who claims he's God. Does that make sense? Mark 14, this is the trial of Jesus. Uh... Eric, can you read that for us? Jesus and made no Again, the high
1: priest asked Are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? Okay,
0: let me let me stop right there. You know, a lot of times we think, oh, the high priest is asking Jesus, are you God? Right? Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Again, Christ is really a political title at this point. And so they're really just asking, Are you a king? Are you a political aspirant? Are you, you know, an insurrectionist? And then he says, son of the blessed. Um, son of God was actually a term used to describe the Messiah, the king. It didn't have uh, divine connotations. It's too long and complicated for me to go into that, but you're just going to have to believe me, okay? But what is, how does Jesus respond? Does Jesus say, yes, I am the Messiah? No, he actually goes one step further. Eric, keep reading. Right, he says, you think I'm the son? Are you asking if I'm the son of God? I am the son of man. Now, why is that significant? I mean, this requires a little bit of biblical literacy. Does anyone know what Jesus is doing? What is he quoting? Requires some OT knowledge. Daniel 7. In Daniel 7, uh, Daniel has a vision of what's called the son of man, who is a divine figure. I know it's so ironic. Son of God means human Human king, son of man means divine figure. But, anyways, so Jesus says, "I'm this divine figure prophesied in Daniel 7. And how do the uh, how do the, uh, the the high priest respond? Uh, can you read it, sixty three? The high priest tore his
1: garments and said, "What further witness do you need? The verdict is blessed. What is your
0: decision? They all condemned him as certain death." Do you guys see the verdict now? Jesus claimed he was God. And therefore they said, blasphemy! And they said, let us kill him. So the verdict of the cross is that he's a blasphemer. That he is not God, right? Maybe I should say that. Not God. Okay? But the resurrection reversed the verdict of the cross and it proves, it vindicates Jesus as the divine son. Uh, Jeff, can you read Romans 1, 4? Yeah, and Paul here is using the Son of God in a divine sense. He says Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power. What's the proof? By his resurrection, right? And so the the resurrection proves that he is the Son of God. He is the divine, true Son. Uh, Acts 17, it's a really long passage for the sake of time. Let me just summarize it for you. This is Paul at Athens, and he's making this really extended speech and argument to the, to the Areopagus. And he actually says, you know, God has drawn close to us. And, and this is how you can know him. Look at verse uh, 31. Because he, speaking of God, has fixed the day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. And this is what Paul Paul is saying. He's saying God has appointed someone who will judge the world. God has appointed someone through whom we can draw close to God. And how do we know that this man is who he claims he is, that he truly is the portal to God, that he truly is the bridge to God, that he is God? And what does he say? He says, and of this, he, speaking of God, has given assurance to all. So this is the proof by raising Jesus from the dead. Because Jesus rose from the dead, it reverses the verdict of the cross and proves that Jesus is the Son of God. Does that make sense? That he is truly divine. He really is the judge. He really is the way to know God. Any questions? Or comments? All right. Next page. Next point. The salvation verdict. Or I'm sorry, the salvation perspective. Uh, death on the cross is punishment for sin uh, and it's uh, shame and humiliation so the cross is the consequence of sin it brings shame and it brings uh, humiliation <coughs> nope that is misspelled <coughs> did I get that right? Um, yes my spelling skills diminish as I write on the board. Okay. Uh, so what is the proof of this? Romans 6, uh, 23. Um, Jen, Jennifer, can you read that? Romans 6, 23, the Wages of sin and death. Pretty clear, right? Uh, when you die, it's because of sin. Um, Philippians 2, you know, we're going to skip that because the sake of time. Let me just summarize it for you. Uh, the cross is humiliation, right? Because you can see there in the underline, verse 8, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And in Hebrews twelve two, 2, Harry, can you read that? Philippians Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Okay, so all of these elements the cross brings together, right? It's the result of sin it is shame it is humiliation right cursed is the man who is hung on a tree is the, the Old Testament and so the resurrection reverses this verdict you know if Jesus you know Paul says if Jesus did not rise from the dead then you are still in your sin the verdict still stands sinner shame humiliation but the cross reverses that um, the cross is what glory Righteousness. Okay, so um, let's read. Oh, let me just read the, the, the title. The resurrection reverses the sentence of death and declares us righteous in Christ. Um, Acts 2, again, this is Peter's speech. Uh, Nimi, can you read that?
1: These words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man you attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst.
0: As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, he crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosening
1: the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it.
0: Yeah. What he says when Peter says loosening the pangs of death, what he means is that the verdict of death, right, death, Clung onto Jesus. Death pulled Jesus down on the cross, but by rising from the dead, this is very obvious. God destroyed death. God released the power of death. First uh, Corinthians fifteen. Um, tab.
1: um. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins.
0: Right, we read that, but. Um, But the resurrection rescues us from sin. Without the resurrection, we are still in our sins. Because, and I don't want to get too complicated here, but Paul talks about us being united with Christ. And so we were with Christ on the cross, being crucified with him. But unless he's resurrected, we're still in sin, right? Because it's just the verdict of sin stands. Just because a criminal is punished, that doesn't make him any less of a criminal. Does that make sense? <laughs> he's still a criminal. He's getting punished, which is his right. I mean, which is right and fitting. But the verdict still stands, unless he's resurrected. Um, I know that's a difficult concept. Let's read on, because I think Paul helps us here. Romans four, uh, Melissa.
1: It will be counted to us who believe in Him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trance, trespasses and raised for our justification.
0: Okay, He was raised for our justification. Justification means declared righteous. The only reason why we are righteous is because Jesus reversed the verdict of sin and death and rose from the dead, and therefore we are righteous with him. Okay? Um, Romans 6, uh, let me just read that. Verse 4: We were buried with him, therefore, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism, that's union, by the way, into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So, you know, the cross meant death. But now, because of his resurrection, because we're united with him, we have life, new, new life. First Peter 1 Peter um, 1.3, we read this at the very beginning, but let me read it again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again, right, new life, to a living hope through what? The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Only because he rose from the dead do we have newness of life, do we have a living hope, do we have righteousness. That's the answer. And so, to sum it all up, okay, Uh, why do we need the resurrection? I hope you can see now that without the resurrection, Christianity completely falls. Because then Jesus is a false Messiah, he's a false king, he's a blasphemer, and the judgment of sin and humiliation and, and death and sin stands. But the resurrection overturns it all. And now we have, we, Jesus is proved to be the true king because the cross failed. Jesus is the son of God because he rose from the dead and now we, because we're united with him, we have righteousness, we have life, we have glory with him. That's the meaning of the resurrection. And, and therefore, you know a lot of times, and I'm so guilty of this, a lot of times we tend to talk about Jesus' great saving act only in terms of the cross only in terms of him dying but I hope you can see that that is only half the story that if it it only ended with his crucifixion um, Christianity would fall apart I mean everything rests on him reversing the cross of him rising from the dead of him rising uh, from the dead does that make sense? or any questions or comments (coughs) before we go to the final last point, which was I question actually Okay, let's move on then. Um, How do we know the resurrection of Jesus actually happened in history? I was actually really tempted to make this the real lesson Um, because it could be really a full, like it could be like a three-hour lesson on uh, historical evidence for the resurrection. There's just so much. It is like, I think, indisputable. Um, I'd love to get into it, but... You know, you got to pick and choose, right? Okay, so let me read you the uh, italics, okay? Christianity is, an utterly, is utterly unique in this claim. All other religions claim private miracles. But Christianity is based on a very public event with hundreds of eyewitnesses. Christianity actually welcomes public scrutiny and skeptics to come and to examine the evidence, right? And so let me read to you First Corinthians fifteen. Okay, this is what Paul writes: For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas. That's Peter. Then to the twelve. Then He appeared to me. Uh, then He appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, although some have fallen asleep, meaning they're dead. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Paul is making an incredible claim. 1 Corinthians was probably written 30 years after the resurrection. He says there were 500 witnesses who saw Jesus alive. <coughs> and he says, What does he say? Most of whom are still alive. That is an incredible claim. Do you know what he's saying? He's saying, Go and ask them. You want to you find out if Jesus rose in the dead? There are witnesses. More than that, there's an empty tomb. It was completely public knowledge that there was an empty tomb. Right? If, 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 if you know, let's say Harry died. Okay? I'm going to use Harry as an example. And we bury him. And then I go around telling everybody, Harry's alive. I saw Harry. He, was, he and I were walking and talking. We were sipping coffee at my house. They would say, you're crazy. I'd be, no, 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 no. He's really alive. If you were really extreme, you know what you would do? You would say, all right, let's go to the graveyard, dig up his grave. There's Harry's dead, rotting corpse. Is he alive? No, I guess I was wrong, right? Now, why didn't anyone do that? Do you know why no one did that? I mean, the moment anyone said, Jesus is alive, they just say, what about his dead, rotting corpse? The fact that Christianity exploded, the fact that there were hundreds, uh, thousands of people who believed in this message, proves that the, the, the grave was empty. And there's a lot of interesting theories, you know, why was the grave empty? Some people said, well, you know, Jesus revived, you know, he, it only appeared like he was crucified, right? That he wasn't, really, um, he wasn't really dead. That doesn't make any sense. First of all, the Romans know what they're doing. But second of all, you know, let's suppose that Jesus was like s- stabbed, crucified, he's bloodied up, and then they throw him into the tomb, and after three days, he like somehow revives. He's like, oh, you know, because he's so tough, right? He like moves the stone, or maybe his friends move the stone for him, and he walks out, and he's all like, oh, and he says, "I'm alive! <laughs> I'm the Messiah!" Would would people be like, yes, you're the king, you're the you're the true son of God? No, no one would believe that. that doesn't make any sense. Some people say, well, then the disciples robbed the body. They wanted to only make it appear like Jesus was was. Raised from the dead. That doesn't make any sense. Because think about it. That means it's a fraud. That means the disciples were perpetuating a huge hoax. Would the disciples um, go to the? Would the disciples be killed, persecuted, knowing that it was a hoax? Doesn't make any sense. Okay. And so the only answer, the only historically um, rational answer, is that he rose from the dead. Christianity is an incredible religion because within a generation of the actual death, they were going around saying he rose from the dead. The very, the, from the inception of the birth of Christianity, they were, it's not like several hundred years afterwards, you know, after the development of religion, they started saying, you know, Jesus is with us. Oh, no, you know, he's actually alive. Yes, he rose from the dead. No, we have documents within 30 years of his death that people were saying Jesus rose from the dead. How do you explain that? that? Right? If someone claimed that you know Abraham is alive, Abraham Lincoln, sorry, (laughs) right? There's, I mean, no one does that, you know. And so, I think uh, the evidence is really, really quite strong. Um, Any questions? I gave you like the three-minute version of the evidence. Uh, There's a lot more. There's someone named William Lane Craig who gives like a two-hour talk on this. It's like dynamite After you listen to it You're like oh, I got, I got, Jesus is alive I mean it's just indisputable um, Any comments or questions? What's his name? William Lane Craig mm-hmm. He actually has an audio talk on this I think You can find it on the web um, It's just dynamite He's debated people on this mm-hmm. It's just like I, I really don't see how you can Dispute
1: um, I'm wondering The validity of using like, The rationality of cycles. Yeah. Um, because I feel like there's lots of irrational people. So for example, like when like Harold Camping made all these like ridiculous claims, like everybody like you know, was not everybody, but a lot of people were willing to do like all sorts of crazy things, like sure. sell all their positions sure. and do all these things. Sure. Um, and so even when he was wrong they still like he like made another claim. Like, sure. Self
0: justifying were... yeah. You only see what you want to see. Right. Yeah. And so is it But then there's an empty tomb.
1: Right, but I'm just saying, like, I'm
0: wondering if, like, that's one piece of the argument is can be flawed or not. Right, so if it was only, if it was only eyewitnesses, we can say it was mass hysteria. I think that's a a weak counter-argument, but we can say it's mass hysteria. Um, There are other arguments why the psychology proves against it. Number one, because no one expected Jesus to rise from the dead. This wasn't in the worldview. This wasn't in the paradigm or concept of the Jewish world in the first century. It's not just like, you know, a lot of people say, well, you know, everyone rose from the dead, right? You know, that's just a common belief. No one believed that anyone rose from the dead, you know? But the fact that the disciples did it, said it, you know, um, can we attribute it to mass hysteria? I think not. But even if we can, how do you explain the empty tomb? How do you explain the fact that Jesus' body was missing? And then we have to go to these other explanations, right? So then we have to say, well, then the disciples stole the body, right? So that means they were purpose they were like, you know, like they're all wearing like um, uh, uh, black knit caps. They were sneaking into the tomb and they robbed the body. And that means there was a big hoax. It was a huge fraud. Never in the history of the world has a fraud of that magnitude been maintained by this many people, Right? somebody must have cracked some i mean as they were torturing the disciples they would have said okay okay it's not true we actually stole the body i can tell you where we buried it right i mean why would the disciples willingly be persecuted and suffer death for a lie and why would a lie transform their lives all the all, all the gospel accounts show that the disciples were scared out of their minds they were they were afraid for the lives they ran no one was there at the cross because they thought they were going to be killed by the romans how do you explain the fact that they they changed so radically? They had such incredible courage. Peter's preaching in Jerusalem at Pentecost before thousands of people. How do we explain this? If it was a lie, if it was if it was a if, if it was a fraud, it doesn't make any sense, you know. So I think it's the fact that there are eyewitnesses coupled with the fact that there's physical evidence. It's what's really interesting is. Uh, uh, in the gospel accounts it says that the, 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 um, the Pharisees remember the Pharisees paid the Roman soldiers to say tell people that the body was stolen right um, and so they were trying to push this argument that uh, the body was actually stolen and we actually have Jewish arguments you know from the first and second century where they continue to make this claim that the body was actually stolen. The very fact that the the, uh, Jewish religious leadership was pushing this idea that the body was stolen was an acknowledgement everyone knew, everyone in Jerusalem knew, the tomb was empty. The tomb was empty. That's indisputable. Both Christians and anti-Christians admitted the tomb was empty. The real debate was why was the tomb empty? Did Jesus rise from the dead as the Christians claimed or was the body stolen? I think the body stolen... It just doesn't fit. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't work. All right. We're well past the time. Let me pray. Good questions. All right. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time to study uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the seminal event of all history, the very foundation of our faith. We pray that as we have studied uh, your scriptures, as we think deeply about what it means for us, that um, it would uh, warm our hearts. It would give us incredible assurance and confidence, and confidence knowing that you are real, that you are true, that you really are the King, you really are the Son of God. We pray that you will strengthen our faith continually as we go into corporate worship. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.